We're in week three of our series, Closing the Gap. Pastor Herbert kicked it off a couple of weeks ago. He's done two messages now in a row on Closing the Gap. He's going to be preaching this coming Sunday, so you want to make sure you're back Sunday as he continues in this series. He talked last week about these tests that we experience because all of us, no matter where we are in our journey with Jesus, we none of us have arrived, right? None of us have crossed the finish line yet. We're all still a work in process, right, in progress. And so here we are where we are, but there's a gap between where we are and ultimately where God wants us to be. Some of you have dreams for your life, things that you want to see happen in your life, and it's not that God does not want to uh, bless you with that, it's that there is some proving ground or some testing that will take place between where you are and that dream being realized. So we're talking about how to turn those dreams into reality by closing the gap. Pastor talked to us about how our perspective and how we view these tests or these challenges or these trials is critically important. Listen to our theme verse for this series, James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. James chapter 1, verse 2, it says, consider it pure joy. Come on, somebody say, pure joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of, now listen to what this is, of many kinds. There are all kinds of trials, all kinds of tests. But no matter which kind, you can consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. We can actually consider it pure joy when we bump into difficulty because problems aren't simply obstacles or challenges, but problems can become opportunities. They are tests. They are a proving ground. And God does not lead you to a test in order for you to fail. God doesn't bring you to a proving ground in order to bring problems to you. He's not all about giving you problems. God's interested in bringing you into promotion. That's his plan for your life. But you have to go through the test, the proving ground. Any product that makes its way to the shelf, it first goes through the test. And God is doing that because he's a good, good father. He never promotes prematurely. I have uh, several daughters, Angel, my 10-year-old, my Angel baby. She's so sweet, and I love her so much. But how many of you know if I were to say to Angel, Angel, I'm gonna, I, this is how much I love you. I'm going to give you the keys to the car, and you can go drive whenever you want to, wherever you want to. Go have fun. You guys wouldn't say that I'm a good, good father. You'd say you're a bad, bad dad. That's what you would say to me if I let my daughter do that. Why? Because she needs to grow. She needs to mature. She needs to pass the test for her own safety. For her own well-being. And so God wants to promote you, but first he takes us through a process, and there are different tests that he uses. Last week was the wilderness test. It represents dry seasons, difficult seasons, seasons when you feel like you're calling out to God and there's no answer. And yet, if you miss that message, you need to pull it up on the PC app and watch that because God wants you to move from surviving into thriving even as you go through the wilderness test. And today, I want to talk to you about the warfare test. God takes us to and through different tests, and, and today I want to talk to you about the warfare test. A while back, it was in the middle of the night. My daughter, Kelly Grace, came into my room, and she started tapping me on the shoulder. I was sound asleep. She woke me up. She said, Dad, Dad. What in the world is going on? What's happening? You know, you don't know where you are. You don't, somebody just waking you up. And I looked up and said, what is it? 
She said, Dad, I'm sorry to wake you, but there's a snake in Allison's room. I said, what? She said, there's a snake in Allison's room. So I got up, and I went in there, and Allison was obviously awake. Bria was in there awake. They're all staring. I said, what in the world? And listen. Now, for those of you that are a little squeamish, you're not into snakes, you might want to just distract yourself for about the next 30 seconds because a snake had come into the house up in her bed, and when she pulled the sheets back, there was a snake under her pillow. Some things will lead you into prayer and fasting. You know what I'm saying right there? I declared a fast and a national day of crisis. <laughs> I have a love-hate relationship with snakes. I love to hate them. I mean, that's just where I am. I know some of y'all are animal lovers, and you're like, don't hate on the snakes. Pray for me that I'll hit a breakthrough. But right now, I hate them. I just don't like snakes, and I figured that house wasn't big enough for the both of us. I'd gotten used to living there, so I killed the snake and got rid of it. But I was still confused. How did the snake get in the house? How did it get in a room on her bed and under the pillow? Well, after a lot of <laughs> investigative work, we finally realized that earlier that day, one of the small our children had left the front door open for a while and so our assumption is that's how the snake got in I don't know if you're connecting any dots but you remember how the devil first showed up snake yep all the way back in the garden and since then he's been looking for doors and ways to come into your life and to hide and to watch for an attack to get you how many of you know that you don't have to be afraid of a battle or the warfare that we face just because there's a devil doesn't mean there's defeat you can have victory in Jesus name that's what we're going to discover with a warfare test and when we talk about warfare we're talking about spiritual warfare that's so why I want us to go to Ephesians chapter 6. This is the most comprehensive passage in all of Scripture on spiritual warfare. And, and as we look at this, we get a bit of an understanding and insight on what it means to not leave windows or doors of our lives open or vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. Because spiritual warfare is real. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Paul says... A final word. He says a final word because he's just been speaking as Paul is writing this from a Roman jail cell. And he's, he's in this jail cell writing a letter to the church in Ephesus. And as he's writing this, he, he doesn't have them chaptered. That came later. But he's writing this letter. And in the first, what we know to be five chapters of Ephesians, he is just pouring out the blessings, the spiritual blessings, the benefits of being a child of God, of the heavenly blessings that God has for us as children of God, how we're sealed with the Spirit of God, and then he gets with to, to, to chapter 6 here or this part of it, and before he wraps up, he says, a final word. He's like, hey, before I go, I might want to give you a heads up to something. He says, you better be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So, man, is it, you feel a little bit of a shift here from all of the benefits, the blessings, these wonderful, heavenly, divinely uh, ex extended privileges of being a child of God. He says, before I go, you better be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It's a warning. He says, put on all of God's armor. Somebody say, all of it. Come on, just tap that in the chat right there, all of it. He says, you better put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Did you know that the devil has a strategy to destroy you? 
He's not trying, just hoping he's got a plan to steal, kill, and destroy you. He says you got to be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Verse 12, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Hear this, friends. We're in a real fight against evil rulers and evil authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We are natural, uh, in living in a natural world, a physical world, but we're, we're spiritual beings. But because we live in a natural world, we can lose sight of the fact that there's a spiritual battle going on. We're very aware of arguments, conflicts, fights, and wars that we know of in the natural, but often lose sight of the fact that the greater realities are the spiritual rallies, and there are devil, there's a devil, there are demons that are scheming, that are strategizing, that are coming up with plans. There's a bullseye circled around your heart. There's, a, there's an attack. There's a spiritual attack plan against your family. How many of you have known that to be true? You're like, there's no doubt about it. I know that our family's under attack. You may be a single person. You just know, man, I just know the devil's after me right now. You may be in high school. You may be in college. And you just know the devil is turning up the heat. That's because there's a real spiritual battle going on. There's a demonic strategy to mess you up, to wreck you of your peace, to steal away your joy. So Paul says in verse 13, therefore, you better put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. The battle's real. You don't get to choose whether or not you're in the fight. You're like, I didn't sign up to fight the devil. You didn't have to. He signed you up. He didn't ask you if you wanted to fight. You're in a fight. You can't choose whether or not you fight, but how many of you know you get to choose whether or not you win? And so Paul says you don't have to be afraid. Yes, there's this demonic hierarchy. Yes, there are structures and systems of authority and, 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 and plans and schemes, but you don't have to be afraid. God's plan for you is not that the battle would break you, but the battle would build you. His goal is not to allow you to go through it so that you just experience problems. He wants you to come out of it so that you can experience promotion. That is what God has for you. And so he speaks through Paul. And he writes to us in Ephesians 6 saying, this is how you win. You have to put on the armor of God. Paul is being inspired here as he's in this jail cell and he looks over at the Roman guard there, this Roman soldier who's clad in all of his uh, warrior uh, armor and he sees that and Paul's saying, if you're going to stand, you better be dressed to win and so he breaks it down. Let's do that together. He says first in verse 14, he says, stand your ground putting on the belt of truth. Number one, first piece of the armor that we have to put on if we're going to stand against the enemy's attack is that we have to put on the belt of truth. I believe that Paul starts with a belt because it's a picture of readiness. 
It's a picture of being prepared. You see, a soldier, just like the average citizen in Paul's day, would often just wear a tunic. Think of it as like this robe. And so as a soldier, he wouldn't want to get into hand-to-hand combat and get tripped up or tangled up in his robe. And so what a soldier would do is he would use the belt, and he, he would pull that tunic up and cinch it up in his belt so that he would have just this unhindered, unhindered stance, and he'd be able to be free and, and not be tangled up in that during hand-to-hand combat. And so the belt was a picture of readiness. I get it when I start talking about a tunic and Roman soldiers. Some of you are like, okay, I'm trying to picture, but I hadn't seen a lot of that, but I'm going to help you just with a visual today. And I've, I've asked someone who is just a warrior of warriors. I'm talking about like Navy SEAL. I'm talking about like MMA champion. I'm talking about a UFC heavyweight title winner. Would you give it up and welcome to the stage right now, Jordan Scott Gibbons. Come on, give it for Jordan as he comes on out here. There he is. What's up, buddy? How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Doing good? <laughs> you feeling all right there? Yes, sir. You excited about this? Yes, sir. Tell everybody your name. Jordan Scott Gibbons. How old are you, Jordan? Six years old. Six years old. What are you wearing right there? What's your outfit you got going on? My karate uniform. Karate uniform? You take karate? Yes, sir. Why do you take karate? My mom signed me up. Okay. That's a good... I, I would do it, too. I would do it, too. So, uh, what, what's your favorite thing to do in karate? What do you enjoy about it? Well, I like when he sets up, sets up obstacle courses for us to do. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Is there anything hard that you do or things you don't like doing in Taekwondo? Well, I'm not very good at sit-ups, and he has me do a sit-up, and then get up, then punch, then yeah. go back down. So, that, that's pretty hard. That's hard just to do that one time is hard? Oh, well, he makes me do it a bunch of times. Oh, like how many times do you think? Oh, he, he says for us not to count. He just tells us when to stop. Oh, I see what he's doing. He's trying to wear you out. No wonder. I, that makes sense to me. So tell me about your belt. When you started off, did he just give you that belt? Oh, whoa, no, sir. He, he gave me a white belt first. A white belt first. Well, then how did you get that one right there? Did he just say, I changed my mind. I want you to have this one. Well, I got this belt by um, testing, and I won to the basics, so that's how I got this belt. Okay. Did you go straight from white belt to this belt? Well, I got white belt, then I got, like, a white belt with a yellow stripe in it, then I got my white belt with an orange stripe in it, then a tiger belt. Yeah. Okay. Then I got this. Then you got, so you had to work for that belt right there. Yes, sir. Man, and what happens if you show up at at Taekwondo and you don't have your belt on? What would happen? My instructor will get mad. He would? Probably make you do your push-ups and hits, right? Well, not really. He'll just get mad. He'd just get mad? I got you. All right, man. Well, hey, if I was coming in at you like this, what you going to do? Oh, we didn't even practice that. Come on, give it up. I love you, man. See you. See you later. Come on, give it up for Jordan. Okay, now you got it all cleared up in your mind. Now you know what a warrior looks like, right? You know what it looks like. And I love it. When I hear him talk about the different things that he has to do for those tests, I'm like, that belt says something. That belt you're wearing makes a statement. And he's talking about it. He's already like, I'm ready for my black belt. He's ready to get there. But he's got to go through these tests. And God is saying, listen, I want you to make a statement when you put on the belt of truth. 
It's a statement of readiness. It's a statement saying that you are prepared, that you're, that you're alert and you're ready. So when you think of like a soldier cinching up his tunic so that his feet and his legs have the freedom to move as he ought to, you might think of it in our day and time like somebody's going, oh, okay, you want, okay, and they start rolling up their sleeves, you know. When they're rolling up their sleeves, you know that they're, they're not getting ready to cook in the kitchen. They're ready for fighting, right? They're rolling up. Or somebody turned their hat on backwards going, okay, it's on right now. You're like, why'd you have to turn your hat backwards? It's a sign of I'm ready. I'm coming after you. And what I believe that Paul is saying, he said, you know what? It doesn't matter if I give you a lot of the pieces of the army, uh, uh, the armor, if we talk about a shield, if we talk about a sword, if we talk about all these things, but if you're not ready, the devil's going to eat your lunch. If you're going to be strong in the Lord, you've got to be aware. You can't be unaware of the devil's schemes. And why does he say you've got to be aware of, of, of this belt of truth? You've got to be aware with it because truth is so important. Here's the reason why. is because we've got to stand for truth and we've got to fight the lies. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14 says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. In other words, the devil doesn't come to you and announce to you and say, just want to give you a heads up, about to start a fight with you, okay? I'm going to lead off with a right. I'm going to come right at your nose. And then after that, I'm going to have a little sidekick. He doesn't do that. Why? He masquerades as an angel of light. He wants to act like everything is good. And if you're not aware of the devil's schemes, if you're not alert and ready, there's no way that you'll be able to defend yourself. Until you acknowledge, hear this, until you acknowledge, that there is a real enemy swinging for your head, you aren't ready to defend yourself. Until you fully understand that hell is attacking your life, your family, your job, you will keep rebuking your husband or your wife or your kids or your coach or your teacher instead of fighting against the devil. Until you're committed to fighting the right fight instead of the wrong ones, you aren't ready. You're vulnerable. You're wide open. It's like leaving the door open to attack. You've got to stand your ground. Don't buy the lie. Don't take the bait. Don't drop your guard. Be ready. Paul says in verse 14, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth. And here's the second thing, and the body armor of God's righteousness. Other translations would call it the breastplate of righteousness. And that's the second piece of armor. If you're taking notes, write it down. Number two, the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate would cover, obviously, the soldier's heart and his vital organs, and, and it was meant to just be this safeguard from anything coming in that could, that could, that could kill him or, or, or harm him. And I think that Paul looks over and he glances at this, at this soldier there and this outfit, and I think as Paul is thinking about followers of Jesus and those in the church, he says, if we're going to stand strong, we've got to put on a breastplate of righteousness. I think what he's saying is we've got to guard our heart with righteousness. There are two aspects of righteousness that we need to understand. The first aspect of righteousness would be known as right standing righteousness. Being in right standing with God. It's not anything that you could do or I could do to earn this right standing. It's simply a matter of receiving the free gift of grace. It's a matter of acknowledging that I'm a sinner who needs a savior. I'm someone who's been a part of a bunch of junk, a bunch of lies, a bunch of dark, a bunch of past, whatever my former life was, and I've turned my back on that, and I've said, God, have mercy on me. How many of you are thankful that who you used to be, what you used to do, and all of the stuff of yesterday does not have to come into your day? I once was lost, but now I've been found. 
down by the grace of God, the love of God, the peace of God, the hope of God. I'm clean. I'm a new creature. And what happens in that moment when you surrender your life to Jesus, the word of God says that we are now in right standing with God because the righteousness of Christ is applied to our lives. I'm righteous because I'm right because of the grace of God. But then there's another aspect that Paul is speaking to here. It's not right standing. It's right living. It's our responsibility once God has cleansed us and made us new. It's our call now, our responsibility to live lives in obedience to the word of God. To avoid the paths of sin and destruction. Listen, God does not want you to to avoid sin because God wants you to miss out on fun. God is not saying, is that fun? Then that's sin and stay away from it. God's not saying, I don't want you to be involved in greed. I don't want you to be involved in pride. I don't want you to be involved in in stealing or in sexual immorality because those things might be pleasurable or enjoyable. Therefore, I don't want you to be a part. No, he realizes those things will wreck us and destroy us. He wants us to take steps that are firm and walk in truth according to the righteous living and call of the word of God because he's saying when you do that, you are guarding your heart with righteousness. When Satan attacks you and me by tempting us and luring us into compromise, God says, I want you to put on the breastplate of righteousness to guard your heart. I want you to avoid people, places, and things that the enemy will use to try and pull you away from Christ. Don't you notice that there are habits and patterns? Don't you notice that there are certain people, certain places that are triggers for you? Don't you know that the devil is masquerading like an angel of light? He's so subtle. He's so deceptive with it. He's a liar. He's a manipulator. He's a deceiver. But he uses some of the same traps over and over. And when we're not paying attention and walking in righteousness, we will give in to those temptations. Have you identified the ways that the devil attacks you? Certain ones. Listen, just because the devil comes calling doesn't mean that you have to answer. How many of you know that you can just say, no, thanks, not today, Satan. I'm not going to go dance over there where it's wet because I don't want to fall. I don't want to slip. I don't want to wipe out. I'm going to take steps that are firm. I'm going to walk in righteousness. That's what it means in Romans 12, 9, where it says, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. If you're going to stand strong, you have to guard your heart. Get prayer warriors around you. Get people who will encourage you. That's why you got to get in a small group because you encourage one another. You you hold each other accountable. How you doing in that area? Let me pray for you in that area. Let's encourage one another. It's why we take steps that are firm. We put ourselves in wise positions, not bad ones. We don't want to get isolated. We don't want the devil to pick us off when we're back up against the corner. and and, and by ourselves where the devil has a clear shot at us. God wants us to guard our hearts with the breastplate of righteousness. Paul goes on to say this in verse 14, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. Number three, the third piece of armor would be the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shoes of the gospel of peace. That's kind of a long name. What does that even mean? Well, originally, especially at the beginning, shoes were simply meant to protect feet. 
I mean, that's kind of still the, the deal today, but in the early days, especially when you walked everywhere you went and, and through dirt, over rocks and, and uneven terrain, it'd be very important that your feet would be protected. And that's a little bit of a, of a partial uh, truth for us today because, yes, our shoes protect our feet, but anymore, it's not so much about I need my feet protected as much. It's a fashion statement for us today. Some of y'all right now, your feet are killing you because of what you wore to church today. You, your toes are swelling up. You know, it's rubbing you. I mean, you're miserable, but you're like, hey, they look good. It's a fashion statement. In our culture, that's the way it is. To the degree that some will pay thousands of dollars for something, like Air Jordans or retro shoe or something, but we'll do it because, man, that's a fashion statement for soldiers. It had nothing to do with a fashion statement. They wore their shoes or their boots, if you will, with rock embedded in the bottom of their shoes that made them like cleats. So it gave them the stability they needed so they would not slip around or fall while fighting. It gave them some sure footing. It gave them the ability to stand whenever they were in hand-to-hand combat. And Paul is saying, if you're going to stand, you better make sure that you have on some good shoes. And he calls them the shoes of peace. Peace that comes from the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, we understand the good news because we first realize that there's bad news. We know a lot about the bad news. We know that we're broken people living in a broken world. I know that I'm messed up. I know that you're messed up. I know that that socially distant neighbor just a few seats away from you, they got issues. Come on, just look at them right now and be like, he's talking about you. Go ahead, just, just say it. We all have issues. We all have hangups and hiccups and, and, and scars and, and, and dysfunctional things that we're working through, that we're going through. That's the real news. That is the bad news. But how many of you are thankful for the good news is that we don't have to be smart enough to fix ourselves or spiritual enough to get victory over our own sin? Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrated his own own love for us in this while we were still sinners Christ died for us you know what he rescued us he's with us he watches over us and he's always somebody shout always he's always in control which means when I have peace with God I can have the peace of God which means in a world that is going crazy, and make no mistake about it, we're not living in a crazy world because of flesh and blood fights, all the disagreements, all of the conflict, all of the tension. It's not a man against a man. There is a demonic attack on our homes, on our hearts, on our nation, on our leaders, on our schools, on our cities, on our communities. It is an all-out attack. Like, that is going on, and it's real. But in the midst of it, Paul says, all of that may be going on, storms swirling all around you. All of that may be taking place. But he can say, even though a financial storm blows in, even though an emotional storm blows in, even though a relational storm blows in, no matter what storms come your way, the storms can come and go, but you can stand firm and still with your feet planted in the peace of God because peace is not a thing. It's a who. It's a person. It's the prince of peace. His name is Jesus. He's your anchor. He's your peace. He will stabilize you through all kinds of storms. Paul says, stand firm. Stand strong. With your feet planted on the Prince of Peace. He goes on to say in verse 16, in addition to all of this, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Fourth piece of armor. Number four is the shield of faith. 
Obviously for the soldier, it would protect him from rocks coming his way, swords and weapons being used against him. But Paul specifically mentions in this writing the fiery arrows that the devil shoots at God's children. Paul is saying if we're going to survive that, that we have to have all of God's armor. We need the shield of faith. Because from the beginning, the deceiver has wanted to sow demonic seeds of doubt into God's children. Remember way back in the beginning? Remember the garden? Did God really say? He said that to Adam and Eve. Remember, he was a snake. Don't forget that part. I don't want you to forget that part right there about the devil came as a snake. He said, what if God's just trying to keep you from some fun? You're not going to really die. Maybe he just doesn't want you to know the whole story. Maybe God just doesn't want you to enjoy something that's pleasing to the eye and tastes good. Maybe this, maybe this, maybe that. The devil was trying to sow seeds of doubt then, and he tries to do it even still to this day. He will reach back and draw back his fiery arrow, and he's shooting for your heart, and he wants to ask you and sow seeds of demonic doubt and say, if God really loves you, then why did he let you go through what you went through? And he shoots it right at your heart. If God really loves you, then where is he right now and you haven't had your breakthrough yet? You haven't seen the answer to your prayer. You feel like God's abandoned you. Where is God? He must not be there for you. And he shoots at your heart. And people who aren't ready, they're not paying attention. They don't have the shield of faith. It hits them and they start thinking, maybe God has given up on me. Maybe God isn't with me. How many of you know that the devil is a lousy life coach? You should never seek counsel from the devil. Don't listen to his lies. When he rears back and he says to you, you can't live for God. You're not spiritual enough. That's for church people. And you start thinking, maybe I can't. I try, but I've made so many mistakes. I tried to live for God, but I failed. And so instead of running to God, we're running from, it's because the devil is shooting seeds and and arrows of doubt at your heart. You've got to hold up the shield of faith and say, I can be used of God. I can be free from addiction. I can go from single to having a family. We can have children. I can be a good husband. I can be a good dad. Paul says, hold up the shield of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, now faith is confidence. Somebody say confidence. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and it is assurance about what we do not see. God wants us to walk by faith. God wants us to trust his word. Even when it looks different around us, he wants us to hold on to his promises so that we can hold up the shield of faith to protect us from the fiery arrows of doubt. Listen, you might be a dad. You may have kids at home. You may be married. You may go through your house at night checking the doors and making sure that everything's locked up, and that's a good thing. But can I tell you there's something even even more important that you would do, and that is walk the hallways of your home and start praying over your kids' bedroom. Start praying over your marriage. Start praying. Some of you are like, are you for, listen, at our house, we pray over doors. We pray over windows. I pray a hedge of protection over my, my, my neighborhood, and then I pray a hedge of protection, another one, over my yard. Then I pray a hedge of protection over my house. Then I pray, a, some of you are like, are you, hey, you let a snake come in your house one time. You start praying all kinds of prayers over your house. I just pray for protection. Why? Because I know that I'm supposed to put up a shield of faith so that any attacks my kids, I don't have to go by what I see. I go by what I know. God, I know my children will love you, will serve you, will be all about you. I know, Lord, that as I walk in 
my school, I'll stand strong for you. I know as I go to my work, Lord, I'm going to represent you. Why? Because I'm living with the shield of faith. Somebody say, stand strong. Number five, he gives us another one. In verse 16, he says, put on salvation as your helmet. Number five, helmet of salvation. No soldier would go into battle without his helmet on because he's got to guard his head. Listen, you may think helmet of salvation is self-explanatory, but I want you to think about it at a deeper level. Paul's not referring to an act of salvation or the moment of salvation. He's not saying now that you have truth, now that you have righteousness, now that you have peace, now that you have the shield of faith, now you ought to go get saved. He's not saying that. He's not talking about an event as much as he is an attitude. He's saying, put this helmet on your head. Let salvation guard your head. Let salvation guard your mind. Let there be an attitude with the reality that I was saved, I am saved, and I will be saved. It's an attitude of hope. It's an attitude of security. You can stand strong today, no matter what battle you're going through, no matter what warfare test you're experiencing. You can stand strong today because you can see beyond the moment. You don't just have eternal life one day and someday. You have eternal life right here and right now. And it doesn't have an expiration date. You will be blessed here and you will be blessed eternally because you have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. I would encourage you, put this on your mirror. Knowing that the devil's coming after you, knowing that the demons are trying to destroy you. Romans chapter 8, verses 31. Then I'll read verse 35 and then verses 37 and following. Memorize this. Get it in your heart. Verse 31, what then? What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, come on. If God is for, say it with me, who can be against us? That's the word of God. Verse 35 says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Verse 37, no, in all these things, somebody say all things. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can stand strong. Is the devil real? Yes. Is he coming after you? Yes. Is his, is his power real? Yes. Do you have to fear? No. You are saved. You have been saved. You are being saved. You will be saved. You don't have to wonder if you're going to make it. You win. Put on the helmet of salvation. There's a final piece here. Ephesians 6, 17, after he says put on the salvation of helmet, uh, the salvation is your helmet, he says, and take the sword of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, and then Paul just gives us a little more of a description because he wants this one crystal clear on what he's talking about. He said, which is the word of God. The sixth piece of the armor, he says, put on all of the armor. The sixth piece is the sword of the spirit. Notice this is the only offensive piece. It's because God does want his children thinking that we're supposed to play prevent defense and that our goal in life is not to lose. The other piece is we're defending ourselves against the enemy's attack, but you don't just stay in this posture of, I think if somehow, some way I can hold on, I might not lose. 
No, Paul says, yo, you defend yourself against the devil's attack and all of his schemes, but here now you have the sword of the Spirit with which you can fight against darkness. You're not left helpless. And I want you to know that anytime there's a collision with light and darkness, how many of you understand that light always wins? So when the darkness of deception is trying to get into your head and you use the sword of the Spirit, just like Jesus when the devil said, if you're the Son of God, and why don't you do this, and why don't you do that, Jesus responded by saying, it is written. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a super spiritual Christian. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. But friend, can I tell you, you've got to get into the Word. You've got to get the Word into you. In 2021, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be nervous about what battles await me. What tests am I going to face? What's the enemy going to try and do in my life? What's he going to try and do at my job? You don't have to be worried, but you better get into the Word of God. Paul says, hey, before I wrap up, one final word. You better be strong. He says, here's how you're strong. Put on these things. And he gets down to the end. He says, and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If you try and do it on your own, if you try and do it on your own wisdom, your own strength, it's like taking a knife to a gunfight. You don't stand a chance. But when you're walking in the Spirit and armed up with the Word of God, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. The devil is defeated by the Word of God. He is crushed by the power and the weight of God's authoritative Word. You can stand strong. You can be victorious. You can win. Your family can be blessed. Your job can be blessed. Your mind can be blessed. Take the sword of the Spirit each and every day. Get dressed before going to work, before going to school. Put on the armor. Take the sword with you and walk in that truth. One of my very first experiences where I was aware of spiritual warfare, I'd been saved for just a short amount of time. I was a teenager. I was up in my bedroom, about to fall asleep. Some of you had experiences similar to this or your own experience, but for me, this was new to me. I just had this overwhelming sense of fear that came over me. The only way to know, I know how to describe it is that it just felt like darkness just came and filled my room. The hair on my arms was just standing straight up. I just knew something was going on and I didn't know what to do. And I closed my eyes and I couldn't even call out for help. I was just paralyzed with fear. It's not anything like I had ever experienced before. I was frightened. I was scared out of my mind. I couldn't scream. I couldn't do anything. Somehow, some way, I was able just to say the word the name Jesus when I said Jesus it was like electricity went through my body I remember just being like so scared but I said Jesus and I just felt I just felt like it shocked me or something I said Jesus I said it again and I started becoming bolder and I said it again Jesus all I know to tell you is that darkness left my room light filled my room peace 
filled my heart. And the reason I'm saying that to you is sometimes you might be under such attack, you can't even remember John 3.16. But can you say the name Jesus? Can you call out to the one who's the Prince of Peace? His name is Jesus. Can you call out to the one who is the Word? The Word became flesh. His name is Jesus. He's the beginning. He's the now and he's the end. His name is Jesus. Come on, put your hands together and praise him right now. He's the name that's above every name. He's the victor. He's the soon coming king. And you can call out to him today. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're fighting, no matter what's coming against you, your family can stand strong. You can stand strong. You can walk in freedom. You can walk in confidence. All because of the name of Jesus. Come on, let's sing this. Stand to your feet. Lift your hands to the Lord and let's just worship him. Hope has a name. Let's sing. 